It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 11 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.45, where are we at in society? Unfortunately, I have more examples of why we need some sort of certification process to allow adults to become parents. At 6.15, I'm handicapping the weekend in college and pro football with one of the best in the business, Sam Paniatovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. And a mere seconds, Longhorn football looks to get back on track in H-Town this weekend. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Longhorn football has had to stew for nearly two weeks now. They've had to sit there and chew on that loss in Dallas to the Oklahoma Sooners, a game where it did feel like Texas was far from their best, while Oklahoma clearly came ready to play, and the result is the first loss of the season for Texas. Perhaps the bye week was timely to give them more time to think about that, to stew on that, before embarking on the second half of the 2023 season. And Texas does that tomorrow afternoon in Houston against an old Southwest Conference foe. And for one year, once again, a conference foe in the University of Houston. Houston is coached by Dana Holgerson, which Texas fans are familiar with from over the years, specifically his time in Morgantown at West Virginia. Coached some high-powered, fun offenses there with West Virginia, but ultimately was not able to win consistently enough down the stretch, and that forced the Mountaineers to make a change. But now Dana is back in the Big 12 with Houston for how long? Well, that's anybody's guess. The Cougars are looked at by a lot of people as the worst team in this conference, and the conference is down this year. So if you are the worst team in one of the worst Power 5 conferences, that is not good. The stats say that they are not the worst team in the conference. They do have a win after all. An exciting comeback win over the aforementioned West Virginia Mountaineers last Thursday night, that final Hail Mary play that vaults the Cougars to their first conference win in the Big 12, and they do have that single win on the year, whereas you do still have a few teams that are winless in conference play so far. Fittingly, I guess, it's uh, some of the other new members of the conference, UCF 0-3. Cincinnati 0-3. BYU, for those wondering, is 1-2 right now. Those are the two undefeated teams in the conference. Houston with that win. So you can make the argument, not the worst in the Big 12. It's still not very good. And it seems like a good opportunity for the Texas Longhorns to get back on track tomorrow. Vegas has Texas as 23.5 point favorites right now. So more than three touchdown favorites with an over-under of 60.5. And I think this is a great opportunity for this team, really on both sides of the ball, but all three facets of the game to show that they have done some growing, 
done some evolving over these last couple of weeks, and they are geared up to run the table in the second half and hopefully set up a rematch with Oklahoma at Jerry World in Arlington that first Saturday in December. Houston is decent offensively. And for those of you who have been paying attention, you know that their quarterback is a guy who led his team to a victory over the Longhorns last year. Donovan Smith. It wasn't at Houston, but rather Texas Tech. A game in Lubbock that was a bit of a high-scoring back-and-forth affair that ultimately saw the Longhorns lose in overtime thanks in part to the rare Bijan Robinson fumble. And Donovan Smith was great that day. And he has been a highlight for the Cougars so far this season. So maybe it turns into a bit of a shootout once again. But the reality for each of these teams and the difference in these two teams more than anything else comes in quality of play on the defensive side of the ball. Texas, although that defense was exposed in a way by OU and Dylan Gabriel a few weeks ago, are much better statistically than Houston is. Houston is awful on defense. Which is why it feels like this Texas offense not only needs to continue showing that it can get going early, because they've been better at that over the last handful of games, but that they can succeed in areas where we've seen them struggle throughout the course of the season. Specifically, third downs, third down conversions, but also turning trips in the red zone into touchdowns. That has been the biggest problem for this offense this year. And there were glaring examples in the Oklahoma game of that. Examples that arguably cost the Longhorns a chance to win. And you need to look no further than Texas having a first and goal from the one. And in four chances, they come up empty. No points on the board. And I don't fault Steve Sarkeesian for not kicking a field goal in that situation, but I do fault him for pretty transparent play calling through at least the first three downs at the end of that drive. But Houston's defense is bad. One of the worst in the country on third down, even worse on fourth downs for whatever it's worth, and their red zone numbers also not very good. So while this isn't an opponent that is going to give you a great gauge on whether Texas is truly still a college football playoff contender, You have to start somewhere. And you have to make it happen against the competition which is in front of you. And so for the Texas offense, it's a great chance to do that. Same goes for the Texas defense, by the way. Donovan Smith, not looked at as the most electric runner necessarily, but he is really good in picking up yardage with his legs. He is a bigger framed guy. He's much bigger than what you saw at Dylan Gabriel. But similar in terms of how effective he is as a runner. And so this poses a great challenge for this Texas defense. Can you do a better job of bottling up a guy like that than you did versus the Sooners? Where Dylan Gabriel wasn't single-handed because it was a team effort, but Dylan Gabriel was the biggest reason why OU was able to win that game. Why they were able to march the ball down the field in a little bit more than a minute 
to score a touchdown to take a lead for good at the end of that game. Donovan Smith, not the same type of player. It's not a one-to-one comparison, but there are similarities enough that I like this test for this Texas defense. That as good as they've been, you can point to the fact that they faced a lot of backup quarterbacks this year. And other than Dylan Gabriel, the other two backups or non-backups that they faced, one was JT Daniels, and Texas just has JT Daniels' number. I'm going back to his time at USC. But then Jalen Milrow at Alabama, who was a much younger, much more inexperienced player. Texas did a great job on him, but he's not nearly as good as a thrower as Dylan Gabriel or Donovan Smith are. So ultimately, I like Texas to win this game. I like them to cover the 23 and a half. Now I say that as somebody who also is on the record as never betting for or against my own team. Unless you're talking about preseason. You're in Vegas throwing a little bit of coin down on national championship or World Series chances. But game to game, I stay away from those. Having said that, I feel good about Texas winning this one by four or five touchdowns. Seems a little bit arrogant maybe, but I am still a believer in this football team. I still like the overall attitude. I like the talent on both sides of the ball. And even if you see a couple of key guys still not playing, Texas should take care of business. And then they get to return home for a couple of games after that, starting with BYU next Saturday. All right, coming up, we continue our breakdown of the college and NFL weekend with one of the best handicappers in the business, my buddy, Sammy P. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It is a Friday at 6.15, which means it is time to take a handicapping look at the weekend in college and pro football with my friend Sam Paniatovich of Nesson, also Fox Sports, and he is the host of the Chicken Dinner Podcast, and he is effectively known as Sammy P in gambling circles that add some authenticity to the excellent advice that he is willing to give people on the action available for football and otherwise. Sam, thank you as always for the time. How you doing today? Happy Friday, buddy. I wish you could have watched me watch the end of the Patriots Raiders game. I did give your audience a little Patriots plus three. It's a loser. It goes in the book as an L. <laughs> But that is the perfect example of having the right side and still being wrong. You can make good bets that lose. You can make bad bets that win. And I never thought Raiders minus three was a good bet. Yet, in the box score, Patriots lose by four. But, man, how do you take that safety in the end zone? I mean, it's a a combination of the Patriots not being a well-disciplined team, Mac Jones being terrible under pressure, and just some of the fluky things that happen in sports that you can never completely plan for. I didn't hate the bet. If I had to make it again this Sunday, I would. Although, I'm not going to take the Patriots against the Bills. That's a different conversation. But you can make these bets. And I think sometimes the hardest thing to do is get back off the mat. And, uh, you know, also, that was a late Sunday game. You know, 10 years ago, I'm doubling down on the Sunday night game. You know, <laughs> I might not have even liked the game. But when you lose like that, sometimes you have to avoid the urge to overindulge on the next game. 
Well, you had two examples of that last weekend from your money picks. The other one was USC Notre Dame, which I thought was a great bet taking. I think it was under 60. Who could have predicted that USC was going to turn their ball over five times? Like that game should have hit the under 60, but because Notre Dame, gosh, they had at least one defensive or special teams touchdown, maybe two, and a bunch of short fields to work with. They ended up blowing the doors off of the Trojans. And while you could feel that the Trojans were going to lose a game in pretty embarrassing fashion at some point this season with how that defense had performed, nobody was going to predict Notre Dame winning the game by 28 points in the end. Yeah, 24 points in the fourth quarter. That's the life you live, though, in college. I thought it was brutal when they went for it. USC went for it like fourth and one at their own 20 and didn't get it. And then Notre Dame just ran the next play in for a touchdown and then there was a kick return. <laughs> you're just like, oh, okay, this game is not staying under. But <laughs> as I said, buddy, you're gonna win a game. You're gonna win a lot of games. You're gonna lose a lot of games. You want to just make the right bets. And and I would argue Patriots plus three was the right bet, and the Notre Dame USC under was the right bet, and they both lost. That's life. That is life. All right, this weekend's college games are headlined by the first game of the day. It is the Fox Big Noon kickoff. 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern time. Number seven, Penn State. At number three, Ohio State. The Buckeyes are favored by five points right now. The over-under is 45 and a half. I actually think Penn State has a good chance of winning this game, but is there something about this matchup that you like one way or the other for gambling purposes? I actually was really hoping to get, you know, six with Penn State, and it opened for about a second. Circus Sports in Vegas opened Ohio State minus six. This is last Sunday, like two o'clock. And from six to four in a blink of an eye, like right away, that six disappeared. So there was a respected group that hit Penn State plus six. Now there was another push. They laid Ohio State minus four. So we're seeing respect on both sides. I tend to agree with you that this is the year Penn State can beat Ohio State. This is their most talented offense since you know Trace McSorley was there this is a very good defensive football team with Manny Diaz an outstanding coordinator my only issue and the only reason I didn't make a bet on this game is because I can't bet James Franklin yeah I have seen this in the big games time and time again when we have had this conversation about Penn State multiple years now well maybe this is the year and maybe this is the year and then they do something historically stupid and lose by 10. That is the only issue that I have. I had a buddy in Vegas tell me if he wasn't the coach, I would blast Penn State. <laughs> it is telling, though, Trey, when, when you think about Ohio State, Penn State, this game is at the horseshoe in Columbus. Ohio State's only four and a half, five. The number itself tells you that the books respect Penn State. Not just that, but I think there are legitimate questions about the Ohio State offense right now. Like, is is McCord the guy? He's followed a bunch of really good quarterbacks in Columbus, and while the numbers are decent, uh, the proof is not in the pudding in terms of uh, some of their biggest matchups this year. Now, they scraped out a win at Notre Dame, a game that they should have lost, but this is another big test for him, and this Penn State defense, as good as Notre Dame's defense is, this Penn State's defense has an argument as being the absolute best in the country. And I think that's why I'm picking the upset too, because I feel like the defense is so good that it, uh, it Franklin proofs Penn state in a game like this. 
Well, and let's also talk about how Ohio State's defense is very good. I mean, look yeah. no further than that matchup you just mentioned. When Notre Dame and Ohio State played, we're talking 17-14. The Irish only scored 14. Then you watch them last week put up 48 on USC, and that gives me even more respect for Ohio State's defense. The biggest move in this game, Trey, is on the under. It opened at 48, and that thing got, you know, annihilated. It's all the way down to 45 and a half, crossing that key number of 47. So, yeah, 23-20 wouldn't surprise me either way. All right, moving on to the SEC now. The 230 CBS game here locally is number 17, Tennessee, at number 11, Alabama. The Tide are 9.5-point favorites. The over-under is 47.5. Tennessee's defensive line is really good, which is why I have the Vols covering the 9.5. I don't have them to win outright. But uh, what are you seeing that uh, is drawing your attention about this matchup? I see a game that is going to be nowhere near the offensive explosion that it was last year. Remember, yeah. 52 to 49, buddy, last year, 100 points. And then we look at this total, and it's 48, 47 and a half. So clearly, <laughs> the house is like, all right, go ahead, bet the over. We dare you. Milrow has been better as of late. He did get benched earlier this season, but they've actually strung together five straight wins at Alabama. Um, I, I think this Alabama team clearly doesn't have the offensive talent. You know, they don't have the NFL wide receivers. They don't really have the NFL running back either. So they are sort of making it work with lesser parts. I, I'm not excited to lay nine and a half with Alabama. I like the under in the game. I mean, it feels like this could be one of those, you know, 2017 slugfests. Alabama has held its last few opponents to 10, 17, 20, and 21. And Tennessee's offense might be – you know, worse than most of those. I just feel like this is a game where Alabama could hold Tennessee to 13, 17. Um, The balls could cover for sure. I just, I don't want to lay nine and a half. I think the under is very live though. I think this is a lower and slower game. The defenses are better on both sides of the ball. Number 16, Duke at number four, Florida State, is potentially an intriguing matchup. Now, Florida State is favored by 14.5. The over-under is 49.5. It's potentially intriguing based on whether Riley Leonard is available for Duke. Regardless, though, I think Mike Elko is going to do a good job on this Florida State offense, which obviously has some explosive pieces. The question becomes, is Florida State's defense good enough against Riley Leonard or whoever the backup is that it is rendered moot? Um, Do you like the 14.5 for Florida State or Duke? The over-under, which is uh, just below 50 right now, or something else about this game? The line tells me that Leonard is not going to play. Right. I mean, when we look at a line that was you know, hovering around 14 for the majority of the week, and now as we get closer to the weekend, we're looking at some 14 and a half and 15. That's not ideal. And I can also tell you that Duke is morphing into one of those public underdogs where well, I watched Duke win a big game earlier. I saw Duke play Clemson. I like Duke. And, and then Duke falls down 14 nothing, and yeah. they're cooked. Let, let's also examine – life without Riley Leonard and even if he plays Trey it's a it's a high ankle sprain those don't usually get better overnight and they also limit your ability to run so if Leonard can't move about the cabin it's going to limit their offense but speaking of limited the backup Henry Bell in the fourth last week was four of 12 throwing the football for 107 yards it's it's a huge drop off from Leonard to the backup and NC State last week scored three points They're, they're not good so I don't I don't really take that 24-3 win for Duke all that seriously. Florida State has NFL guys all over the ball on defense, including Jared Verse, who's going to be a 
top three, top five pick in the draft. I have a concern about Duke hanging in this game. If it's not Leonard, buddy, this could be 38-10 to 10 because Duke cannot move the ball if Leonard's out. One of your two, three, excuse me, money picks in college football this weekend is the latest of the ranked matchups. That would be number 14, Utah, and number 18, USC. I'm holding my nose as I think about watching this game, Sam. But uh, you do like USC as seven-point favorites right now. Why? This is one of my favorite spots in football. We take the team that everybody has loved to bet all year, and we wait until they become unsexy or unpopular because we all just watched it. They went to South Bend, gave up 48 points. It was ugly. It got uglier. And wait, USC is laying a touchdown now? How is that possible? Well, Hmm. because Notre Dame and Utah are polar opposites. Notre Dame can move the ball through the air, on the ground. They can put points on the board, and that's really how you beat USC. You look at Utah. They can't score, man. And this is one of those games where if Utah falls behind, say it's 7 nothing, 14 nothing, Utah can't hang. And, and this is a team that you know scored 7 at Oregon State, 14 against UCLA, 20 at Baylor. They have to win these low games. They have to win 20-17 to 17 and 23-20. to 20. And, and USC's offense is going to score here. I think this is a horrible spot for Utah. It'll be a very popular side, too, because people will look at Utah's record and Utah's ranking, and, oh, my God, I get seven. And then if USC goes up, it could be, you know, a 14-21 point win. So this is a great spot. USC is no longer sexy. People are doubting how good they are. This is a great bounce-back spot for USC. I laid seven. He is Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniadovich of Nesson up in Boston, Fox Sports and the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Coming up, we will finish off uh, some of the best bets from the college weekend and switch to the NFL as well here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. One more segment with my friend Sam Paniadovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is the main handicapper for Nesson up in Boston, also Fox Sports, and the Chicken Dinner Podcast. You can give him a follow on Twitter at SPShoot. Sam, we uh, broke down the college side of things for this weekend. Last segment, a couple more games to go, and we move on now to a couple games in the Big 12. We'll get to Texas-Houston in just a second. One of your other money plays this weekend is Texas Tech at BYU. Why do you like BYU as three-point home dogs right now? It sounds like Texas Tech is going to be on quarterback three. So their opening starter, Tyler Shook, he's out. He hasn't played in a while. And last week, Baron Morton, the backup, he got banged up a couple times. And it's a shoulder injury that's never good for a quarterback. If he plays, I doubt his effect in this. So I'm fully prepared for a steady dose of true freshman quarterback Jake Strong on the road in Provo. Not ideal. Uh, Sataki has also been a very good coach as a home dog. This is a role that they've relished in over the last eight years. The line moved from Texas Tech minus four and a half to minus three, an assumption that Morton is out. And I think, look, BYU gave up 439 yards and four touchdowns through the air last week. If that happens again at home, I'll tip my cap. I just I don't think Tech has the horses. The quarterback situation is a mess, and I am not landing three points with what should be a freshman quarterback on the road. It's not public yet, but I don't think that Morton's going to play. 
I expect that news to come out tomorrow. The Texas Longhorns have gotten to stew over that loss to Oklahoma and Dallas for nearly two weeks now, and they look to take some of that frustration out on the Houston Cougars tomorrow in H-Town. Even though technically it's a home game for the Cougs, there will be a large Longhorn contingent there, and Vegas thinks Texas is going to bounce back nicely against what is arguably the worst team in a pretty bad conference this year. Longhorns are favored by 23.5 right now. The over-under is 60 and a half. I actually like uh, taking Texas and the over here, but how do you feel about either of those two numbers? I was trying to get a team total for Texas. Like, you know, these books, when you get closer to Friday and Saturday, they'll give each individual team a total. My only concern with the over is that Texas wins 51 to three. (laughs) That's the only thing that worries me. You mentioned, you know, the incentive to come out here and prove that the Oklahoma game was, you know, not the right result. I mean, that game could have gone either way. I think Sark made some questionable decisions in that fourth quarter, but this is big brother, little brother. I mean, hell, this is big brother, little cousin (laughs) and Texas should win this game by 30 points. When I say 51, three, I'm kind of kidding. I mean, if Houston scores three at home, that'd be an embarrassment. But like a 48-10 final is not impossible. Yeah. Problem is, Trey, that's only 58, and you need 60. So if I can get a team total on Texas, like 40-and-a-half, 41-and-a-half, I would just bet the Longhorns to score over that. That's what I think about this one. It, it's hard messing with these totals when a dominant team takes on a team that really can't move the ball against high competition. So my initial thought is to look at Texas team total and bet that over. That way we don't need to worry about if Houston scores or not. Okay, your biggest money play this weekend is our final college game. We go to the Ivy League with Brown and Cornell, and you haven't told me what it is that you like about this game, but what do you like about Brown and Cornell? Because I'm not even seeing a line on ESPN.com. They won't have it out until Saturday. It's an FCS game. Those lines come out Saturday morning, like 10 o'clock central. So you need to be on your apps or be on your sites or whatever. You need to be ready to go when this line does come out. I expect the total to open at 54. That's the number that I think the market will open. I made the total 60, and and here's why. Two years ago when we were doing radio together, we did this weekly hit on a team called Presbyterian. Remember the team that didn't punt? Oh, yeah. And they were scoring like 80, 90 points a game, and and the market never really caught up. Well, the market hasn't caught up to Brown. And and there are people right now driving around laughing like, wow, this guy's a sicko. Well, guess what? (laughs) Brown has a quarterback that has thrown for almost 2,000 yards in five games. Like, Brown is throwing the ball this year with massive success, and they are a team that plays to the over. Here are some of their final scores this year. 34-31, 42-20, 34-30, 34-31, 42-20, 34-30, and then last week 28-27 in overtime. They played Princeton last week, a very good defensive team, and had two interceptions and fumbled inside the 10. Now they play Cornell, who plays no defense. Cornell is just giving up points. They're giving up 35, 41, 21, 25. They can't stop anybody, and Brown plays at the 10th highest pace in the country. So they either score quick or they punt quick. It's one of those games, man, and I'm telling you, you're going to look at this total tomorrow when it opens at 54-55. By the time the game kicks off, I think it could be 58-59. So get on Brown Cornell over and get on it early because it will move. 
All right. Keep that in mind now. And moving to the NFL. NFL Sunday. We're going to start with your money pick and then work our way backwards, I guess, because this is a weird year in the NFL. We're like week to week. There's maybe one or two matchups with teams that have winning records, and there are two such matchups this weekend. We may hold our nose and talk about Atlanta, Tampa before it's all said and done, too, if we have the time. But starting with your money pick in the NFL, Steelers at Rams with LA as three point favorites. Why do you like the Rams here? The Steelers offense stinks, man. It's yeah. really bad. And I just saw that Pratt, uh, Pat Fryermuth is not going to play. He's a big red zone target for the quarterback in Pittsburgh. Steelers have two ugly one possession wins at home. It's tough to play in Pittsburgh, though. You know, the stadium is built weird. Weather's always a concern. You, you could barely see the, the play calls through all the smoke sometimes. And then they beat the Browns and Ravens. I mean, those AFC North games are always up for grabs. Now the Steelers have to go across the country to California and face a Rams team that actually looks pretty good on offense. I mean, I don't know how much Rams you've seen so far, but Sean McVay is, is having a blast right now because Cooper Cup is back, and they have this rookie Puka Nakua on the opposite side of Cooper Cup. Stafford's elbow looks great. This was supposed to be a team that was going to take a step back. They look good on offense. I mean, they're like 300 yards a game through the air, and that was without Cup for a lot of it. Rams also have three losses to good teams. San Francisco, Cincinnati, Philadelphia. Rams get up early. Rams coast. Steelers can't score. I'm laying three. Yeah, I thought this was going to be the Sean McVay farewell tour after some things started uh, popping up in the preseason for the Rams, including Matthew Stafford admitting that he has no connection with the younger guys on the team. He's going uh, a little bit old man, I guess, get off my lawn, or his wife was, I should say, for him. But in the end, Sean McVay is still a really good football coach. So the idea of him retiring to enjoy more time with that gorgeous wife and still get paid an insane amount of money to talk football on TV, they may have to wait a few more years. <laughs> yeah, well, and they, you know, they had a lot of things go against them coming into the year. You know, they swiped the credit card a lot when they won that Super Bowl, yeah. and then they had to pay the bill. And, uh, you know, they did lose some heavy pieces, including Jalen Ramsey, but they still have the core there. They still have the quarterback healthy. When Stafford is healthy, that team is good enough to beat almost anybody in the league. And the reality, too, is that Ramsey wasn't that big of a loss. Like, even going back to the Super Bowl year, he had kind of turned into a shell of himself. And last season, he wasn't great either. I I hope he comes back and... Uh, proves the uh, doubters, myself included, wrong in Miami now since he is on track to uh, come back in maybe the next three to four weeks. But that was actually an addition by subtraction to them too. All right, moving on to one of those two matchups involving teams with winning records. My favorite team this year, since I'm an NFL bastard with the Oilers no longer being in Houston, is the Detroit Lions. They are 5-1, and one, and they are in Baltimore on Sunday to take on the 4-2 and two Baltimore Ravens, who I've not been that impressed by so far this season. Yet, Baltimore, because they are the home team, they received the standard three points and are three-point favorites in a game that I guess what would otherwise be uh, an even line on a neutral field. So, do you like the Lions as three-point dogs or something about that 43-point over-under? I'm not touching the total. I'll tell you what, the Lions are better than I thought. But at the same time, Trey, I don't know how good they are. Mm. Look, you beat Kansas City on opening night. It's a weird game. Trophies, rings, ticket requests, all that. Like, we've seen a lot of champions lose opening night. It's a good win, but eh, whatever. 
Last four games for Detroit, they've beaten Atlanta, Green Bay, Carolina, and Tampa. Mm. None of those teams are probably going to make the playoffs. This is a real test for the Lions. I mean, it's a road game in Baltimore. Ravens are always extremely well coached on defense. They take away what you do well. John Harbaugh consistently churns out winning teams, special teams. They have one of the best weapons, as you know, in Justin Tucker. The Ravens never beat themselves. And a lot of these teams that the Lions have beaten have beaten themselves. The Falcons mm. beat themselves. The Panthers beat themselves. The Buccaneers couldn't stay out of their own way. I think for the first time in a long time, the Lions don't have the coaching edge, and the Lions are facing a better defense. So I think this is a pros against Joe's game. The public is going to take the Lions here because they're 5-1 and one and they're getting points. But the wise guys have laid the Ravens from 3 to 3 minus 15. You know, you might see three and a halfs tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but I do like the Ravens. So this is a tough spot for Detroit. Doesn't mean they're not a good team. I just think it's a bad matchup. All right, we have 30 seconds now. Dolphins at Eagles, Sunday Night Football. It is the matchup of the weekend. Philly is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under is 50-and-a-half. Any action you like in this game? I just hope Miami wins because your boy's got a nice ticket on Mike McDaniel to win the coach of the year, 20-1. to He is now one of the co-favorites. So I'm hoping Miami doesn't get blown up, but I cannot possibly answer this without any bias. I like the Dolphins, wink, wink. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love to hear it. He is Sam Paniadovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. Joins this show every Friday for a couple of segments to break down the weekend in football. You can normally watch and hear him on Nesson in Boston through Fox Sports and the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Also follow him on Twitter at SP Shoot. Sam, thank you as always for the time, my friend. You got it. Hey, by the way, I don't hate a bet on your guy, Bajan Robinson, to score a touchdown this weekend either, plus 140. Not a bad pop. Love to hear that. All right, coming up and Where Are We At in Society, we have more unfortunate examples of why we need some sort of certification process to allow adults to become parents. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Final segment of today's show means it's time for Where Are We At in Society Today? That's right, it is your daily look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you stories that provide a sense of optimism. As it's all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. Perhaps all is not lost. But sadly, today is not that day. And unfortunately, there are way too many examples like this. But we have more evidence that some sort of certification or licensing process is necessary for adults to become parents. That's right. Some people need to be tested before they are allowed to procreate. It is an unfortunate byproduct of many things, including youth sports, sadly youth sports, because youth sports theoretically are great For the kids, first and foremost, to teach them the value of winning and losing and sticking with something that maybe you don't start out great as, but as you work and practice and try to get better, oftentimes by the end of a season, you are better. And you've probably learned how to deal with winning and more importantly, losing throughout that process too. But unfortunately, there are a lot of really bad parents who show out the worst 
when it comes to youth sports. And in St. Louis, a youth football team season is now over with after a helicopter parent may have shot the coach. That's right. A St. Louis youth football team had the rest of its season canceled after a player's parent allegedly shot the coach multiple times for, yeah, you guessed it, not putting his son in as a starter for the team. Authorities responded to the scene on October 10th and found the coach who had sustained serious physical injury from gunshots. The coach, who was taken to a hospital for treatment, told officers a parent whose son plays on the team, quote, was upset with him for not starting his son. The parent approached the coach and eventually, quote, shot him multiple times while the coach himself was unarmed because even if you carry a gun, which plenty of people do, hopefully you're not doing that. You're coaching a youth sports team and this guy was not to his credit. The suspect identified by police and jail records as Daryl Brian Clemens Sounds like a serial killer or a really bad parent. Was arrested and charged with first degree assault and armed criminal action. How is he not charged with attempted murder? You shoot a guy three times. Even if you're shooting him in the feet, you're shooting somebody with a gun. He was ordered to be held without bail. Well, that's good until his trial, according to court records. Police have not named the coach, but local news stations identified him as Shaquille Lattimore. Lattimore, who coaches the Bad Boys team, and that's boys with a Z, told one local media outlet that he was shot four times and grazed once. Quote, I still have bullet fragments in my body. I can still feel it, but by the grace of God, man, I'm blessed and I'm still here. Lattimore's wife told the same news outlet she kept his shooting a secret from their three children until she knew he was going to recover. And Lattimore is hoping to get to spend time with his team once again at some point. I love those kids. I want to tell them to keep their heads up. This is what a fighter looks like, he told the news station. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have a fighter's mentality right now after you were shot several times by some lunatic parents it's an unfortunate lesson the kids are having to learn is they're just trying to play some youth football Lattimore also says he's disappointed by the city's decision to suspend the team from the city rec legends football league quote I don't know why they did that really our team is one of the best teams in that league I'm disappointed with their decision But a St. Louis City government spokesperson said, quote, after a series of incidents perpetuated by adults, which culminated in Tuesday's shooting, the Recreation Division decided to suspend the team participation in the City Rec Legends Football League. League rules are in place to ensure the protection of our youth participants ages 5 to 13, and we will continue to uphold the rules to ensure this football season is safe and successful. Yeah, I guess. 
having a parent pull a gun and shoot the coach does endanger the youths that are on the team too. So, maybe unfortunate for the coach. Even if he said something that upset this guy enough that he pulled a gun, I don't care what you're saying, man. Don't pull a gun. Regardless of whether there are kids around, but especially if we're talking about a youth sports event. Not worth it. You are the child in that situation. The child who has shot somebody multiple times and may be facing jail time as a result. There's one example of why there needs to be some sort of licensure or certification process for adults to become parents, for adults to procreate. And here's another one. This is a less brutal example, I would say, but maybe more evidence that kids' birthday parties are far too often, especially in the younger ages, are far too often about the parents themselves more than they are celebrating the kids. The best example, in my opinion, something I've talked about before, is the one-year-old birthday party. That one-year-old, I have a nine- and seven-year-old at home right now. We held small one-year-old birthday parties for immediate family and maybe some friends. But the one-year-old birthday party that some blowout extravaganza at Showbiz, Showbiz even still in business, or Chuck E. Cheese, that rat up on stage playing in some weird band with his weird animatronic friends, the ball pit, who knows how much fecal matter is in those ball pits, the video games, the tickets, the really bad pizza, strangely the fact that they serve beer at that place, that's just one example of a venue that might host a one-year-old's birthday party. But there are plenty of other examples. The one-year-old birthday party is a completely selfish move by the parents. It is essentially the parents celebrating the fact that this little being is somehow still alive after the first year, despite the fact that many of us, the first time we go through it, have no freaking idea what we're doing. And let's be honest, guys. Mom usually gets most of the credit for keeping the kid alive because if it was just on us... There would be serious issues. But as you get up in the years, the kids are actually aware enough and conscious enough that they can appreciate and look forward to the birthday party as well. And I guess five is an age where that birthday celebration is usually less selfish. It it almost always is more about the kid than it is the parent. But not this example. A five-year-old... Recently got sick right around the time of his birthday party. Couldn't go to his own birthday, so at that point you just assume the parents are going to cancel it. But no, the dad in this story refuses to cancel the birthday party. The son had recently contracted chicken pox just a couple days before the planned birthday. He was five. And the dad decided because the party was fully paid for, we're still going to throw a party here. We'll collect the gifts for the kid who's down with the chicken pox right now. But we're still throwing this party, damn it. And guess who disagreed with this? The mom. Who, I don't know if she took to Reddit, maybe Facebook, maybe the Facebook neighborhood page. 
where there are a lot of clucking hens bringing a lot of gripes up about the neighborhood, their neighbors, people driving through f- too fast through the neighborhood, really just getting into one another's business. But the mom raises an objection somewhere online. Quote, my son has just started with chicken pox. His fifth birthday is on Saturday, all booked and paid for as of yesterday when they called me to confirm numbers. I can't believe the timing of this. I said to my husband this morning that we'll need to cancel and let parents know. He suggested we still have the party. But without our son. Surely, this is totally unfair. He's been looking forward to this party for weeks. I'm so gutted for him. My husband's logic is that we've already paid for the balance. And other than doing cake and candles, we should still go ahead and his friends can enjoy playing and eating the food without him. This makes me really sad though. And what if his friends mention it to him when he's back at school? That they went to this party without him. They went to his party without him. Well, they will definitely mention that. Commenters on this post were pretty appalled. Quote, what on earth? What kind of weirdo would host a child's birthday without the actual birthday child? Others were in disbelief that the money mattered more than the child. With one person writing, quote, Take the hit with the monies. That is life. This must be British. Another. I had this exact scenario with my son. I canceled the party and rebooked. Never entered my head to have the party without him. But this dad, not a deadbeat, because he is still a part of the family. This dad, it's a very selfish move, dad. You need to do better than this. All right, thank you for tuning in for another edition of Sports Day Plus. We will be back on Tuesday at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the weekend and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.